Sadly, he passed away last week, but we can think of no better tribute to George McGovern than to air the wonderful interview we had with him at Capitol Public Radio some years back. This segment has never been aired here on Radio Parallax. It's been said that those who do not learn from the past are condemned to repeat it. So this hour, we look back at Watergate to see what we may learn. We're honored today to be joined in this effort by George McGovern, Senator McGovern was the Democratic Party candidate for president in 1972, challenging incumbent Richard M. Nixon. George McGovern's life has been one of service. He he flew 35 missions as a bomber pilot in World War II, earning the Distinguished Flying Cross. Later, he was a university professor before serving in the U.S. House of Representatives. He represented South Dakota in the Senate from 1963 to 1981. And in August 2000, was awarded the Presidential Medal of Freedom. He joins us now from his summer home in Montana. Senator George McGovern, welcome to Insight. Thank you so much. It's my pleasure. Senator, are you surprised at the large amount of interest that the revelation of Mark felt as Deep Throat has generated? Well, mysteries are always interesting. Uh, This is one that we've been guessing about for more than 30 years, so... Uh, I, it doesn't surprise me that it stirred up a lot of interest. It uh, it, it seems that uh, Mark Felt's leaks to the Washington Post were uh, critical to to prevent the story from fading away. Do, do you see Mark Felt as an American hero? In a sense, he is. I don't know about the uh, procedures that he used to make this information known, but I'm awfully glad we had a Mark Felt planted somewhere in that Nixon operation to reveal the shocking things that were going on. Uh, He couldn't report to the Attorney General because he was part of the conspiracy. He couldn't report to the new head of the FBI because he was a close, confidential pal of the President's, I guess. So he went to the press. And it's understandable that he uh, uh, did it on a confidential uh, basis, but it was effective. I think it gave uh, Woodward and Bernstein and Ben Bradley, the executive editor of the Washington Post, the uh, confidence to go ahead and publish those stories because he was such a high-ranking official in the FBI. Uh, You have said that you were baffled uh, at how Watergate, how the burglary did not generate much interest in the press back in 1972. You you couldn't seem to get the story to center stage despite uh, some repeated efforts to do that. And, and, I, and I want to add, Senator, my own personal recollection uh, vividly from 1972, front page headline of the San Francisco Chronicle in August, mind you, saying, McGovern claims there's more to the story of Watergate burglary. And uh, you, of course, were correct. But unfortunately, for the Democrats, that was uncovered only after the election. But uh, given your frustration back then, um, my question is, do you think the press maybe gives itself too much credit for ferreting out wrongdoing in Watergate? I think so. Uh, except for the Washington Post and uh, a couple of broadcasts by Walter Cronkite, and there may have been a few others, uh, very few members of the press corps gave that story the attention that it deserved. It was pretty much left to these two youthful uh, reporters who were actually on the municipal affairs desk, the Post, uh, to uh, break that story and to keep it alive. I think if the... uh, 
major uh, television uh, networks and major metropolitan newspapers had got on that story with the uh, investigative power that I assume they had, uh, we might have cracked Watergate before the election. And, of course, I had a special interest in seeing that happen because I think the results of the 72 election would have been different if the public had known what Deep Throat knew uh, before November of 72. It must have been quite strange for you to have seen Jerry Ford sitting in the White House in 1975. Yes, it was indeed. Uh, I have no malice towards uh, President Ford. As a matter of fact, I've always rather liked him. Uh, I don't have any uh, malice toward uh, Richard Nixon. I wish he were in the White House today instead of what we now have in the uh, in the White House. But uh, he broke the constitutional oath that he took when he was sworn in, and that was his great mistake. You know, I've often thought, when I look at a president uh, or a presidential candidate, what are the most important questions uh, we should ask? What should we expect as a minimum? I think we expect them to keep their constitutional oath. When you're sworn in as a president of the United States, you hold up your right hand, you put your left hand on the Bible, and you swear that you'll be faithful to the Constitution of the United States. That's all. Nobody asks you to swear that you'll carry out your platform. A lot of people are hoping you won't carry out your platform. But mm-hmm. the, at the very least, a president ought to heed his constitutional oath, and that's what Richard Nixon failed to do. Nixon did a lot of good things in the White House, the opening to China, the uh, detente policy towards the Soviet Union, launching the Environmental Protection Agency, he signed all those bills that Bob Dole and I sent over there to expand the school lunch and the food stamps and the WIC program. So he was not a total failure as a president, but he violated his constitutional oath. And the central lesson of uh, Watergate is do not do that. Do not violate the Constitution. Do not break federal law, and you'll get along a lot better as president. Uh, on June 2nd, after the story of Mark Felt broke, you were widely uh, quoted uh, in the press as saying that uh, the U.S. media needs a modern-day deep throat within the administration of President George W. Bush to reveal how America was misled on Iraq. What? Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, we, uh, we still don't know the full story of how after 9-11, that uh, terrorist attack, we ended up going to war against Iraq, which had nothing to do with the 9-11 attack. Uh, Saddam Hussein uh, is a miserable creature, as we all know, but he had nothing whatsoever to do with the 9-11 attack. So what are we doing going to war in the name of fighting terrorism with Iraq? You know, all during the 1980s and the Reagan administration, we backed Saddam Hussein, because we thought he could serve as a barrier against possible Iranian penetration of the Gulf oil fields. He was our guy, not loudly, but quietly. He was the guy that we tilted towards uh, for 10 years. So here we are now with our American army stuck in a country of people dying every day, both innocent uh, Iraqis and these uh, young soldiers that we have over there, uh, 
in a country that had nothing to do with the uh, terrorist uh, threat to the United States. So I think we need another deep throat who is highly placed in the White House that will tell us what's going on. John Dean, uh, who for a while managed the Watergate cover-up for the Nixon White House, has compared the administration that he was a part of uh, to the current one. Dean has said that the impeachable offenses of the former have been equaled by the latter. Do you agree with John Dean? I do indeed. I think this war in Iraq is a violation of international law. There's nothing in international law that says you can invade and occupy indefinitely a country that has done nothing against you. Uh, ordinarily, uh, we, we, we go to war uh, when we're attacked. That certainly was the case after Pearl Harbor. But uh, uh, there, there was nothing that happened on 9-11 that was uh, out of Iraq. So that war uh, was waged, I think, in a clear violation of international law. I can't think of anything that Nixon did that's any worse than that. Senator, uh, we have to take a short break, but I, could you possibly stay over into the second segment with us? Well, I can stay for a while. All right. And luckily for us, Senator McGovern was able to stay with us for the next segment, where we were joined by NPR's correspondent, Daniel Shore. The two men going back and forth uh, accounts for what I think is my favorite segment of radio, perhaps all time. Joining us now is Daniel Shore. Mr. Shore carries the title of Senior News Analyst for National Public Radio, whereas he puts it, quote, I no longer devote my time to finding out what people don't want to tell you, but rather take what people have already told us and try and invest it with some meaning. Dan Shore performs his duty for Weekend Edition and All Things Considered. Mr. Shore was hired for CBS Television by Edward R. Murrow. He's won a Peabody Award, a Polk Award, and a DuPont Columbia University Golden Baton, the broadcasting equivalent of the Pulitzer Prize. We're very pleased to have him join us today as we look back at the Watergate affair, which he covered for CBS. Welcome to Insight, Daniel Shore. Well, thank you very much, Douglas, especially if I can say hello to my old friend, George McGovern. Well, let, let me add... Uh, uh, <laughs> Daniel Shore's name should be added to the Washington Post and Walter Cronkite for doing everything possible to alert the country to what was going on in Watergate. I wish we'd had more people like that. Thanks, George. Mr. Shore, it appears that you suspected Mark Felt might be deep throat a few years back. What uh, what pointed you in that direction? Well, that's true. As a matter, it was about uh, uh, five years ago. I went on the air on NPR and said that it now looks likely that Deep Throat was somebody high in the FBI, most probably Mark Felt, who was the associate director of the FBI. There have been many attacks on anonymous sources of late. The Bush administration has called them a threat to the credibility of the media. USA Today's Al Newharth called them an, an evil in journalism. But in a recent column, Mr. Shore, you noted how uh, revelations of abuses of detainees in U.S. custody depended on such leakers and that these sources are, in fact, invaluable to a functioning media. Well, if you say leaking, it doesn't sound good. But if you say whistleblowing, it has a different aspect. And there has to be some way. I think that the First Amendment in the Constitution was designed so that the press would follow the government and find out what was going wrong there. And sometimes that would require the cooperation of somebody in the government 
who had a higher duty than merely a bureaucratic duty to a superior. If the superior wasn't obeying the Constitution, then somebody would have to do it for them. I am a great, obviously a great supporter of the idea of confidential sources and leaks because they are a way of putting a check on people who otherwise would harm our country. Uh, former Nixon partisans like Pat Buchanan have denounced Mark Felt's role as a source for Bob, Bob Woodward. But uh, a question I would have for both I of would, you... If I, were, if I were Pat Buchanan, I would too. <laughs> and it wasn't very good. It was Pat... <laughs> but I, I would ask the both of you, is the art of the leak not a fundamental method by which political ends are achieved in D.C., something practiced by all? That's probably George. true, but I, I fully agree with what Dan Shore has just said, that sometimes the only way we can find out what's going on inside the government is from someone uh, who knows what's going on to go to the press and release the uh, information. And, you know, for people like uh, Chuck uh, Colson and Gordon Liddy, both convicted felons, to be lecturing Mark Feld on what is the ethical uh, way to deal with your responsibilities in high office, I think is a bit much. Uh, I don't uh, criticize Pat Buchanan as much as I do these other uh, two. Pat's at least had a fairly honest uh, record. Uh, but these uh, these other two complaining about what a uh, what a bum... Mark Felt was in revealing that information, I think, comes from a rather questionable source. George, let me bring you up to date. It was Pat Buchanan who got angry at me because I criticized a speech that he had written for President Nixon, and it was the one who had it arranged for me to be subjected to an FBI investigation in the hope of learning something dirty about me. That was Pat Buchanan. Is that right? Well, uh, as usual, you've educated me. (laughs) <laughs> but you've done a lot for me and the country. Uh, on this program some months ago, we had on Ambassador Joe Wilson. He argued uh, that his wife's case was not so much a matter of whistleblowing in the public interest as simple political retaliation. I- I'd like to ask both of you how you would compare the situation of reporter Judith Miller being threatened with jail for not revealing who outed CIA officer Valerie Plame uh, in an apparent retaliation for her husband's challenge to the Bush administration to simply reporters naturally shielding their sources. Well, I think the uh, matter with Ambassador Wilson was purely a political punishment aimed at him. Uh, it, uh, it was the uh, use of, of a violation of the confidentiality of, of Central Intelligence Agency people uh, because she happened to have been married to uh, Mr. Wilson, who was the man that... Uh, exploded the notion that Iraq was trying to get uh, uranium out of a country in Africa. It was clearly a case of, uh, of political punishment of a person who'd had the uh, courage to tell the truth on a controversial issue. Uh, so uh, one doesn't have to argue that every leak is done for the purposes of enlarging the public's appreciation of the truth. Douglas, there is a special law that makes it a crime to reveal the identity of an intelligence agent who is working undercover. And Joe Wilson's wife was such an agent working undercover on matters connected with arms control. And although I 
assert the right wherever I get information uh, to use it in the national interest. If you convince me that there's a possible life or an agent at stake in this, you could talk me out of doing it. Nobody could talk Bob Novak out of it. If I could be uh, pardoned to uh, suggest just a bit of a digression here. A friend of mine was watching Paul Newman, the great actor, being interviewed on television some time ago, and he asked Mr. Newman, you've had all the great honors that Hollywood can give. Uh, what's the what's the proudest achievement of your life? And Mr. Newman, my friend, tells me, said, well... In 1972, I supported George McGovern. I gave a lot of money to his presidential campaign, and I ended up on Nixon's enemies list. And I think that's right. the highest achievement of my life. <laughs> so of he course, was right I ahead of me that. on. Uh, <laughs> Paul Newman was right ahead of me on that list. Is that right? You, you had some yep. good company on that list, did you not, Mr. Shore? Oh, I had wonderful. I, I, I mean, to be denoted as a, as a Nixon enemy, you've got to be pretty good. <laughs> Senator McGovern, Watergate led to many efforts uh, to reform. Which one would you pick out as perhaps the most valuable to our nation? The reforms that followed uh, Watergate? Yes. Uh, you know, I suppose it's hard to uh, just name a specific uh, achievement of that other than to say that I think it has made both the National Press Corps and the American people a little more alert to the kind of wrongdoing that can take place, even very high up in the United States government. I wish that lesson had been learned even better, but I think over the course of time, uh, Watergate has taught reporters and has taught uh, the American people uh, to be a little more uh, alert and a little more cautious about the possibilities of wrongdoing in high places. Yes. Could I just add to that? I fully agree. And could I, could I just add to that? That after, after uh, Nixon, we had Reagan. And Reagan tried to sell missiles to Iran and didn't tell the truth about it until he was caught at it. And then we've, you know, we've had, what we've learned from Watergate is that in protecting the country and the Constitution, you can't really always trust the President of the United States. It's a sad lesson to have to learn, but we've learned it. Senator, you, uh, you were, of course, uh, well known for your opposition to the Vietnam War. You wrote in The Nation magazine recently that it took uh, for you more courage as a junior senator to stand up in the Senate and challenge the war policy in Vietnam than it did to fly combat missions in World War II. Uh, you're now openly opposing the war in Iraq. Do you find that the stand you're taking today is as hard as the opposition to the war in Vietnam was, or perhaps is it harder? It's not any harder. As, uh, as I get older, I have even uh, greater loyalty to the truth and more respect for it. This war in Iraq was a disastrous mistake. We never should have put our army in there. People say to me, well, don't you support our troops? And I say, of course I support our troops. That's why I don't want to put them into places where they don't belong. Uh, if you could have a secret poll of the soldiers fighting over there in Iraq, I think you'd be amazed at how many of them would like to get the heck out of there and come home. Uh, every day that insurgency seems to pick up uh, strength. You can't pick up the papers 
without reading about people being blown up and cars being blown up and suicide bombers, uh, American troops being killed and innocent uh, Iraqis being killed. That insurgency began with the American occupation of Iraq. I don't want anybody to say you're soft on uh, Saddam Hussein. I have no use for that uh, man. But uh, occupying foreign armies are very seldom popular. We ought to know that as Americans. One of the reasons we revolted against the British Empire back in 1776 is because we wanted to get their troops out of the American colonies, the quartering of troops, it was called, a principal cause of the American Revolution. I don't know how many Iraqis are for or against our occupation, but I'm convinced that this bloody insurgency is not going to end until we bring our army home. And the quicker we do that, the better. I suppose in, in writing this article in The Nation that, uh, that, that you're reacting somewhat, uh, Senator, to the fact that, uh, that even though you won the Distinguished Flying Cross for flying bomber missions over Europe, um, you were, you were, your, your patriotism was openly, openly criticized. Sometimes in those debates in the Senate in the 1960s and 1970s when I was tearing into our uh, policy of uh, the war in, in Vietnam, uh, some of my colleagues, and I don't want to say this too disrespectfully, but some of them would get up and pound their chests and talk about how we had to stay with our troops. We have to stand with our troops. Well, it's easy to stand with the troops in Vietnam or Iraq in an air-conditioned Senate chamber, knowing that you're never going to have to face the danger and the folly uh, of those wars. And I used to have to bite my lip to keep them saying, why aren't you over there? If it's such a great idea, why aren't you over there uh, taking the place of some of these young men that are dying in Vietnam, that are now dying uh, in Iraq? I've sometimes thought that when we vote a declaration of war, which incidentally we never really have done in either Vietnam or Iraq, but when we vote a declaration of war, uh, members of the Congress ought to be the first ones to volunteer. Maybe we're too old to, to carry a rifle, but we could at least walk ahead of the troops and help explode some of the landmines that are blowing the feet and the legs off these young soldiers we send over there. Let me just conclude by saying that I said one day on the Senate floor, I'm sick and tired of old men dreaming up wars for young men to die. And, and I feel that today just as strongly as I did 35 years ago. Well, Senator George McGovern and uh, NPR's uh, senior news analyst Daniel Shore, thanks to the both of you so much for speaking with uh, our listeners today. Goodbye, George. Good to hear you. Same, same to you, Daniel. Bye-bye. Sadly, both those men are no longer with us, but uh, I will be eternally grateful for that uh, last bit of radio which you heard. You've been listening to Radio Parallax. I'm Douglas Everett. Before I go on, a note of special thanks to Capital Public Radio and their archives for that piece. <laughs>